Let's go ahead and jump into our lesson today. Your first passage is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. We have moved into the next item on our doctrinal statement, and it is this statement. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be God manifest in the flesh, virgin born, without sin, crucified, risen, and coming again to receive his church, then returning to establish his kingdom. We're studying the doctrinal statement because it's important for us to know what we believe as a local congregation, as a New Testament church, but not only what we believe, why we believe it. It's important for you to develop your own beliefs based upon the Word of God. You can't just take the preacher's word for it. You can't just take your parents' word for it. Eventually, that's not going to be good enough. You need to dig into the Bible and figure out what it says so you can base your faith and your confidence in the words of God. So we're just moving through each of these things and showing you where it comes from in the Bible, and it's the same this morning. And what we're studying this morning, the fancy theological term, if you want it, would be Christology, Christology. That is what we believe about Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the nature and the work of Jesus Christ that all falls under the heading of the study of the study of Jesus Christ is Christology. In this statement, we have um, not only the deity of Christ, that's what we'll study this morning, we'll move on next time to the humanity of Christ, we've got the virgin birth of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the death and resurrection and second coming of Christ, and so a lot uh, for us to discuss under this heading. We'll try to take it in three weeks' time, uh, but this morning, starting with the deity of of Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? Simply the fact that Christ is God. Jesus was not just another religious leader. Jesus was more than a prophet. He was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. He was a man, but not like you and me. Not like us. He was a man who was fully divine, 100% God, 100% man, the deity of Jesus Christ is very clearly established in the scripture, and yet it is a doctrine which is opposed by groups that call themselves Christians. Somebody knocks on your door, unfortunately, more than likely, it won't be a Bible-believing Christian, it'll be a Jehovah's Witness. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is a God, but not God. That Jesus Christ was created by Jehovah, but he is not equal with Jehovah. Now, if you were to answer the door and they were to try to teach you that, would you be able to defend this doctrine from the Scripture? Knowing what you believe and why you believe it, it's important in witnessing and it's important in your not being led astray 
The Bible says we've got to grow. We've got to mature. We've got to be established. Why? So we're not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Do you understand there's false doctrine out there and it's hurtful? Do you understand there are other groups out there and the devil's going to try to uh, come at you with some of these other beliefs? And if you're not firmly rooted and grounded in the scripture, then you're susceptible to being led away. We're going to cover the deity of Christ by asking and answering four questions this morning. Follow along on the outline on the back of your bulletin, if you would. First of all, what does the Bible say about the deity of Christ? What does the Bible say about the deity of Christ? We've got a lot of scriptures to look at, and so we'll move quickly together. But these statements are clear and unmistakable. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, and without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery of godliness? God was manifest in the flesh. That is, he was revealed. He was declared. He was shown. He was, don't miss the word, man-effest. God became a man. God put on flesh. That's a great mystery. Try to think about that. God in a human body. <laughs> it's a mysterious thing, but it's a great thing. Now, what is, what is without controversy is not the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, that is controversial. <laughs> there is some argument. There is some dispute <laughs> about that doctrine. But what, what, is, what is without controversy is the greatness of the mystery. It is a wonderful thing. It is, it is almost an unfathomable thing that God became a man. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. If you want to jot down a cross-reference, it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. gives you the reason why he was manifest in the flesh, and he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Why did God put on a human body? So that he could die as our substitute in our place. God can't die. When he became a man, now he could die. He could die for our sins, to take away our sins, to, 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 to reconcile us to himself. Go to John 1, the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, in verse number 1. John 1, in verse number 1. See if this sounds familiar. <clears throat> See if this sounds similar to something that you could identify somewhere else in the Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, where else do we have that phrase? In the first verse of the first chapter of a book. Time for interaction. Give me your answer. Where is that? Genesis. Genesis 1.1. One, one. The, the very first verse of the very first chapter, the very first book of the Bible begins the same way. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. We turn John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, capital W, proper noun. This is a name. This is a person. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Not only that, the word was God. Who's the word? We're not sure yet. Whoever the word is, it's God. Okay? Verse number two, the same was in the beginning with 
God. Now, it doesn't say the same was created at the beginning. The same was in the beginning. Before there was time, before there was anything created, there was the Word and He was God. He was with God and He was God. That whole Trinity, that whole Godhead, we've got Father and Word and Holy Ghost, 1 John 5, 7. These three are one. Verse 3, all things were made by Him. By whom? God. By who? The Word. All things were made by the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, if nothing was made without him, then evidently he was not himself made. He's eternal. We'll see that in a moment. He was in the beginning and he was God. Now, verse 14, the Bible says, John 1, 14, and the word, same person, that was in the beginning with God, that is God, that created all things, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the one who created the heaven and the world in the beginning came down, dwelt among men, put on a body of human flesh, but he was different than any other man in history. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of the glory, that's the sinless righteousness of the Father, the Creator, visited his creation as a human being. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, again, don't miss the fact that the one who became a man is the one who created all things. Jesus Christ did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. That's where he entered the world as a man. But he was around long before that, come to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The prophecies of the coming of the Messiah clearly, clearly point to the deity of the babe that was born in Bethlehem's manger. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. It's okay to read this verse even when it's not Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9. And verse number 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That'll happen at the second advent, and we're looking forward to it. But what is his name? And his name shall be called Wonderful, with a capital W, Counselor, with a capital C, the Mighty God. It would be horrible to call somebody the Mighty God if they weren't the Mighty God. That would be blasphemous. We'll see that word come up again in a moment. But the one who is born, the child born, the son given, is the mighty God. That's the deity of Jesus Christ. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Come to Micah chapter 5, 2. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the prophecy concerning the birthplace of Jesus Christ. When the wise men came to Herod and said, we're looking for the one who's born king of the Jews. Herod had some scribes do some research and they found this passage to indicate the birthplace of Messiah. There's a phrase here that points to that, that Christ child's deity. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, the Bible says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata." 
Uh, the reason it's Bethlehem Ephrata is there were other Bethlehems in Israel. The Bible's being specific here in its prophecies, which sets it apart from any other book attempting to make any predictions. The Bible makes predictions in detail, and they come to pass. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Look at this. Whose goings forth have been from of old, not just from of old, from everlasting, from everlasting, that indicates no beginning. That indicates the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. If he is from everlasting, there never was a time when he was not. Because the baby born in Bethlehem is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Come to Philippians chapter 2. Or just uh, access that file in your memory bank since you've been following along with the memory program here this year. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6. We don't have time to study it this morning. It's interesting. Many of these verses are altered in modern Bible versions where the deity of Jesus Christ is either eliminated from these verses or, at the very best, it's seriously diluted. This, this verse, it's changed completely. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. The Bible says, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." Now, he was humble. He, 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 he came in the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. Verse 7. But though he was a man, he was equal with God. That's the deity of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to be able to do. When you hear that phrase, I want you to be able in your mind to attach these verses to that truth because the deity of Jesus Christ is not something that we came up with. It's not something we believe because we're Baptists. It's not something I believe this morning because that's what I learned in Bible school. I believe it because I read it in the Scripture, and the Scripture is the final authority. The Scripture is the determinant factor when it comes to truth. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is God, and I believe the Bible, so I believe that Jesus Christ is is God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 8, probably my favorite verse on the deity of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8. Hebrews 1 and verse number 8. Now, if, if we would read the entire passage, it would become very clear that the speaker in verse number 8 is God the Father, Jehovah God. And look what he says. Hebrews 1, 8 but unto the Son he saith. So the Father speaking to the Son. Jehovah talking to the Word. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, look at this, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Father says that Jesus is God. The Father addresses the Son as God. If you want some authority for the deity of Christ, look to God himself because God the Father calls the Son, addresses the Son in Hebrews 1.8 as God. So what does the Bible say about the deity of Christ? The Bible says that Jesus is God. Period. No question. Absolutely certain uh, that, that he is divine. Okay, what did, number two, what did Jesus himself 
say about his deity? What did Jesus himself say about his deity? When he came, he was very clear about who he was. He did not seek or attempt to hide his identity. He revealed himself as the Son of God. And when he revealed himself as the Son of God, Scripture says it was very clearly understood by the Jews of his day what that meant. Here's the argument that you'll get. Jesus is not God. He's the Son of God. As if the Son of God is not equal to God. But that's not what that means. Let's see it in John chapter number 5. Verses 16 through 19, John 5. And verses 16 through 19... Jesus is healing and Jesus is preaching and the Pharisees are becoming more and more incensed at the ministry of Jesus Christ and at the many multitudes that are following him. And verse number 16, the Bible says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. And here's Jesus' response, verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. He's, look, this, this act of healing, if you want to call it work on the Sabbath, fine, but I'm doing the works of my Father. Now, they were already mad because he healed on the Sabbath. But now, he called God his Father, meaning that he is God the Son. And verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. Look at this. Making himself equal with God. When he said, God's my father. When he said, I am the son of God. They understood what that meant. Not that he was inferior to God, but that he was equal to God. Is that what verse 18 says? Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that they misunderstood. That they misinterpreted. Christ's statement. But you know what? He never, he never corrected them. He never sought to clear it up because they understood it clearly. They had it exactly right. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus didn't correct them. Jesus didn't instruct them. It would have been easy enough for him to do so, and he wanted people to believe and know the truth. <laughs> But they did know the truth, they just didn't believe it. John chapter 10, uh, verse 27. John chapter 10, and verse 27. John 10 and verse 27, the Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, there it is again, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Look at this statement, verse 30. I and my Father are one. Well, that means one in purpose. That means one. No, it it, it means they're one. Look how they understood it. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. When he made that statement, they said, that's it. You're dead. They... They got the rocks in their hand to hurl them at Jesus Christ and stun him to death. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. I'm just the son of God. I'm not like equal with God. (laughs) 
That's not what he said. Jesus answered them, many good works that I showed you from my father. He doubled down. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Did Jesus do that? Yes. But it wasn't blasphemy because he is God. And he was God, and he forever will be God. Look at chapter 19 and verse 7. John 19 and verse number 7. This is Christ's trial. The the priests and scribes and elders have brought Jesus before Pilate because they did not have the authority to uh, pass the sentence of execution and have Christ crucified. They needed Pilate for that. The Jews answered him. Pilate said, I find no fault. The Jews answered him, verse 7, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Now, if I were to say that, it would be blasphemy, and under Jewish law, you should stone me. But Jesus very clearly made himself the Son of God. He, he, he clearly established his deity. What did Jesus say about his deity? That he's God. Number three, what did Jesus do that confirms his deity? He not only said it, he backed it up. He not only taught the truth, he gave the people every reason to believe what he was teaching. What did Jesus do that confirms or that proves his deity? And this list could be endless, but we'll give you three items this morning and quickly uh, continue on. One, or A, he performed miracles. He performed miracles. Acts of healing. Raised the dead. Walked on water. Fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Jesus did things that only God can do. But he could do them because he's God. The reference you have there is Matthew 8, 27. It's when he he stepped out and he calmed the storm and he said, Peace be still. And immediately the wave stopped and the wind stopped and the lightning stopped. And what was the disciples' response? What manner of man is this? Well, a different manner of man than you've ever seen before, than the world has ever seen before. It's, It's God in a human body. Okay? So he performed miracles. That confirms or proves his deity. Uh, Letter B, he forgave sins. He forgave sins. The Mark 2 reference is the account of the healing of the man with the palsy where they let him down through the roof. He was born of four. And Jesus is there and the house is full and he's teaching. And here comes this man and Jesus, what did he say? He didn't say, say be healed. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And and the Pharisees were thinking, they didn't even verbalize it. They were thinking, who does this man think he is? And Jesus called them out on it. Who can forgive sins but God only? Yeah, exactly. I'm God. And I have the power of forgiveness and I'm forgiving this man. And so you know that I can do it. Go ahead and get up and take up your bed and walk home. So he forgave sins. That proved his deity. And then letter C, he received worship. He received worship. On many occasions, one of which, John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas 
bows down, having seen the Lord resurrected, and says to Jesus Christ, My Lord and my God. And he worships him. Now what did Jesus say to the devil on the Mount of Temptation when the devil tempted Jesus to worship him? He quoted from the law, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Well, when he received worship, having said that, he's confirming that he is the one who is worthy to receive worship because he is God. So, not only did he say it, he proved it by his miracles, by forgiving sins, by receiving worship, and and there are many other references for each of those and many other proofs, but we must move on. Question number four. Why do some groups deny the deity of Christ? Why is this an issue? Why is this even a question? What are the verses or the arguments used by groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses that deny Christ's deity? I'll give you three, and then we'll look at a couple verses. A, his dependence on the Father. His dependence on the Father. B, his prayer to the Father. His prayer to the Father. And then let her see his subjection to the Father. His dependence on the Father. His prayer to the Father. And his subjection to the To the Father. I think we have time if we go quickly, go to John 5 and verse number 30. I'll show you each of these and then the very easy answer to all of them. John chapter 5 and verse number 30. And Jesus made many similar statements, especially in this particular passage. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Jesus Christ was dependent on the Father. He did what the Father said to do. He said what the Father said to say. He came because the Father sent him here. He came to accomplish the Father's will, to finish the Father's work. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. Jesus showed his dependence on his father. No question about that. It is misinterpreted to say, oh yeah, that's because he's not equal to God. That's not what it means. We'll see that. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse number 12, a little bit further back, and this is just one instance of many. Luke chapter 6 and verse Number 12, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he, Christ, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So here's what the Jehovah's Witness is going to tell you. If Jesus is God, why did he need to pray? And that's supposed to, that's supposed to mean that he is not divine, that he is not equal to Jehovah because he prayed. Now, there's a simple answer to it. We'll see in a moment. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 15, starting in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, Then cometh the end, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall deliver it up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and, all, and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. What's Christ going to do? He's going to take the kingdom and then he's going to deliver it to the Father. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Verse 26, verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith that all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, all things are going to be subject to Jesus Christ, except for the Father, whom Christ himself will be subject to. Okay? So Jesus Christ, he, he's King of kings and Lord of lords, and he rules and reigns over all, but not over God. He subjects himself, he submits himself to the Father who subdued all things under Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. But does that mean that Christ is inferior? Does that mean that Christ was created by Jehovah? Does that mean that he is not equal to God? It doesn't. It doesn't at all, and I'll show you why that is, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So yes, Christ depended on the Father as a man. Yes, Christ prayed to the Father as a man. Yes, Christ subjected himself to the Father as a man. But we have a very good illustration of the nature of that relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. 1 Corinthians eleven three. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. That, that's how God, that's how the Bible structures and orders the home. The husband has authority. The husband has responsibility. The husband is accountable for the leadership and, and ultimately the decision making in the home. The head of the woman is the man. Now let me ask you a question. Does that mean that men are better than women? Answer carefully. When, when the man is the head, does that mean that he is to rule over the woman in dominance and put her under his foot? Look, it, it, it's cliche, but it's true. The woman wasn't taken from Adam's, from Adam's feet. She was taken from his side. Yes, the man has the accountability, the responsibility, the leadership, the authority, but the woman's taken from his side because they're one, right? They're working side by side. Though one has a place of subjection for the good of the home and society, it does not mean that she is inferior to the man. Different roles different positions, different purposes, but in every way equal, the man and the woman. Now finish the verse, and 
the head of Christ, is God. In what way is Christ subject to the Father in the same way that the wife is subject to the husband? By choice. To fill a specific role and position to accomplish specific goals and purposes and objectives, but in no way is it an indication of inferiority. Subjection, I want to give you a mathematical symbol, does not equal, equal signs with a slash through it, subjection does not equal inferiority. Christ praying to the Father doesn't mean he's not equal to God. Christ depending on the Father does not mean he's not equal to God. Christ subjecting himself and and humbling himself and submitting himself and saying, not my will, but thine be done, that does not make him not equal to God. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Now he became a man and he took that lower place. What was the goal? What was the purpose? What what was the objective? To be our Savior. (laughs) To take away our sins. Our salvation hinges on the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ working together in conjunction. If he weren't a man, he couldn't die for our sins. If he weren't God, he couldn't die for our sins. Why did he have to be a man? So that he could die. Why did he have to be God? So he could die for us. Any other man would have to die for himself. But as God, he was perfect and he was qualified to be our substitute and make an atonement. If you don't have a Jesus Christ that is fully God, you do not have a Jesus Christ who can take away your sins. But praise the Lord, we do. So what does the Bible say about the deity of Christ? That he's God. What did Jesus say about his deity? That he's God. What did Jesus do that proves his deity? A lot. Why do people deny it? Because they just don't read and believe the Bible. But we've got to be firmly grounded and established in this truth. You need, to have, you need to have five verses that you can call at a moment's notice, turn to in the Bible, say, this is why I believe that Jesus Christ is God. And you need to be ready to answer that question. And praise the Lord, the Bible gives us all the answers that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. It's truth. Uh, God, these are doctrinal, heady, intellectual matters in a way, but God, it has a lot of practical bearing upon our soul, our salvation, upon what we need to know and believe in our lives. Uh, God, to be able to defend the truth, to be able to to articulate the truth. God, give us the desire, a hunger, and a thirst uh, for righteousness and for the truth of your word. And God, I pray that we would not be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Lord, I pray that we'd be good witnesses uh, for you. Thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us in the pages of Scripture. Thank you for sending your Son to the world to die in our place and give us salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, abundant life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.